Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Alright, we're going to read from John chapter 5. Are you ready? Can we just can we just see where that came out? Who said panarotis? Who said spur? It's a landslide. Spur is the place. So if you need to open something somewhere, obviously it's it's spur, okay. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years, who picked up that there's a verse missing. Okay. Some of the manuscripts put in a verse there, which says, and every now and then an angel would come and stir the pool, and whoever would get into the pool first would be healed. All right? And uh, just most uh, scholars believe it is, although that is obvious, oft, although that is probably what happened, that was an explanation put in later by people who transcribed the Bible. But originally, that verse was not in there. But... If it's in the King James, you'll find it there. In the ESV, you won't find it there. Okay, a little bit of commentary. So don't let your head break. But go and check it out if you want to. It doesn't change the message of the gospel in there. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Imagine that <laughs> question right there. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered to this yes or no question, the following. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Which was not a bed like yours. I mean, it was not, it's probably was a kind of a mattress, like a more of a camping bed, all right? Was. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. There's his obedience. Now that day was the Sabbath, because that's the only day Jesus heals people, have you noticed? And then he always gets in trouble for it. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. How are those guys? I mean, they must know him. He's been around for 38 years. So Secunda is a big place, and we know the faces at the... Um, Traffic lights, right? Imagine someone standing for 10 years at the same traffic light. This man has been there 38 years. They know him very well. The first thing they say to him when they find him carrying his bed is the following. 
This is not the day where we carry beds. But he answered them, as a good answer, the man who healed me said to me, take up your bed and walk. How often will Jesus tell us to do something which is in direct opposition to what other people want us to do? Right? So then do we take up that bed and walk or are we afraid of who might come around the corner and see us following God? Just a side note. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Another great answer. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Let it just shake some of the thoughts we might have when we put God in a box. Do a person need to know everything about God before they can experience him? in a true sense? It's a very important question because it will change the way you pray. This means that you can actually pray for someone who does not know Jesus and God can start moving things in their life. Who's the man who healed you? I don't know. This is very powerful. It goes on. Afterward, Jesus found them in the temple and said to him, see you are well. Now he explains more. So no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. He was almost properly introduced to Jesus after Jesus moved in his life. Now, just a few things to almost give us a little bit of a, a, a platform to build up tonight. We're going to land on four things that we can learn from this man. Some of it is going to be hot and direct. I ask for forgiveness and say thank you so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say, Scripture, God allows Scripture to use metaphors and pictures and images to explain God to us. And in a way, one theologian uses the word that God needs to, in a way, represent himself to us, often in a way that you would explain a very complex topic to a young child, in, in a way that it is understandable to the kid, all right? So your kid might, might ask, why can't I put my hand on the stove? And maybe it's not the night to explain to him how electricity works. I know Ham knows it very well as an electrician. You can just tell him, listen, when I turn that bot button, it gets hot, all right? And in a way, God has these ways to reveal himself to us, which is in, in a way strange language. Scripture might say, God is a rock. Our God is a rock. Now, does that mean he's a rock? No. no. It doesn't mean he's a rock. Yet he reveals himself in that way because he's steadfast, right? He reveals himself to us as a lamb. Okay? Does it mean he eats grass? No, no, no. That, that'll be an insult. It's just he's our lamb. He came in our place. And so I'm going to allow myself to take many metaphors from the story to contradict the story to the gospel, but also compare, right? But let's just start with the name of this place, Bethesda. Now, in the Bible, when you see this word Beth, it normally means house, okay? Esther would mean grace. So the pool of Bethesda 
when they said they would know, it's, it means house of grace. Here's just a few for you. Um, Beth-El, it's a place in the Bible, also the name of a church. El is short for God, Beth-House, house of God. Right? Beth-Lehem, house of bread. They made bread. It was the bakery, right, of the province, you, you, might, you might think. Beth-Sehida, uh, house of fish, right? Beth-Page, house of figs. Bethesda, house of grace. And it's an interesting indication. This, is, this place is called the house of grace. And all the invalids are right there, waiting to be healed. If it's a place that should reflect this idea of a house of grace, surely it must be the church, place of grace. So let's learn a little bit what the writer gives us here about this place of grace. Just another thing or two. Um, I want to say from the, from the start, in that place, an angel came once in a while, stirred a pool. And I said it this morning, theologians are very scared to write too much on this topic. I'm not going to try and say too much. Scripture gives to us this idea that there was something supernatural about the pool of Bethesda. All right. What I want us to, what I want us to understand today, that in that time, that pool would just be stirred certain times, and it gives us something to help us think about our own growth. And, and, and this is the idea of season-specific growth. There's season times in your life where the Spirit will stir certain growth. And if you are not submitted to grow, you're going to miss that season of growth. Let me just give you a very practical example. If you are a husband and a dad that's 35, but you've not learned the lessons that a young man should know at the age of 18, it's going to be very difficult for the woman that's married to you to have a civil marriage because you're supposed to be a man by the age of 35, not a teenager. Now, that's very practical, but also in your spiritual walk, know that God wants to grow you as you go. In Hebrews, the writer writes, he says, you ought to be a teacher by now, but you are still on milk. And so what I want to say, what we can learn from the story is, when the Spirit is stirring in your life, be sure to be ready to grow. And ask God, Lord, what are you busy with in my life? Because He is training you up for years to come, all right? And let us just say this as well. Jesus is the living water not the pool of Bethesda. It's a very important metaphor. Even though the pool, there was a healing factor about the pool, when Jesus came, he healed people next to the pool. All right? Jesus is the living water, not the pool of Bethesda. Otherwise, what we should be doing right now is find the pool in Secunda that's being stirred at times, okay? But then it's actually just a creepy crawly that went on, okay? As scripture is not trying to tell us to find a pool and wait. It's trying to teach us something about our Savior, Jesus. And, and we're going to land on, on four things tonight, but just one or two things to just give you a background on this. So the pool could heal one person at a time, but after Christ has died, salvation was made open for whosoever would come. Can you see there's a contradiction between Jesus, the living water, and the water of the pool of Bethesda. 
Okay, and that's very important to note. Right, so let's, let's go into this. Uh, we're going to ask questions about growth and apply it to ourselves from this lame man. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, do you want to be healed? There's that question. And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Okay. The spirit or an angel stirs the pool. Okay, that's the hand of God. And then a man needs to enter the pool. Now we already know that salvation right now, redding ne, in groei en God, it's not exclusive like it was with a pool of Bethesda. Are you with me? But is it possible that in our lives the Spirit stirs in an area and then we are unwilling to get in? Would you agree with me? Right? Now, when two humans work together on one program and they are interdependent, you know, when you uh, work on a project where you, for example, design something, but then someone needs to sign it off. Before they sign it off, the work that you have done cannot be realized by the designers. Are you with me? Now, when human people come together, we don't know, we sometimes hold one another up. Um, who's been to home affairs? Who's handed something in there and then something got lost and it's a year later? Okay, I'm actually not joking. Someone phoned me last week while I was in Cape Town and said, will I come and pick up my wild card at Tukai? It's been delivered. The date on there is 2011 because that's when we lived there. I, I did the Cape Epic those times. I was riding in the mountains. And I, then I always went in through a hole in the gate because they didn't give me my card and I felt so bad. Now they want me to come and get the card. I said, no, take the card to your son. Let him play with it. What must I do with it? Because sometimes human systems fail us. Sometimes home affairs fail us. So we handed in the name change for our daughter Talita. We've heard nothing back. We don't know where those papers might be. Finding it is like finding a needle in a haystack. Okay, it's gone. But here's a funny thing. In your relationship with God and in my relationship with God, you and I are home affairs. How often is the Spirit waiting on us? He's working. He's inviting. And those, that invitation just gets lots, lost somewhere in the post <laughs> as we put our hearts on something else. Right? So this man, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? He says, not yes, sir. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool. I understand that, but the question is, do you want to get healed? The pastor tells a story about a man in a wheelchair. They pray for him every night in church, every night. At one stage, the pastor asked him, listen, would, I'm just asking, would you like to be healed? The man said, I've been in a wheelchair for 14 years, and think, if I really think about it, if I miraculously get out of this wheelchair, I will have to get a job. I've been on a grant. I'm used to life in this wheelchair. 
this means life will change for me. And now that you ask it, I'm not sure. Why do we struggle to break through when God is stirring in our hearts? It's very important for us to understand this. Because the number one excuse we have, I'm talking about myself as well. I'm preaching to myself and you guys are just privileged to the dialogue, all right? The number one excuse out there is it's someone else's fault. That is the number one excuse. Um, Hey, let's walk a road together. How about you put your faith out to grow in prayer? My parents never taught me to pray. We're not the kind of people that pray. Get out of the past into your future. <laughs> right? He's maybe stirring. Hey, how about we meet one another at 6 o'clock Wednesdays. We, we read together. We pray, worship a bit. And, and let's trust God for great growth. I'm not the kind of person... I was never taught to pray with others. I understand that. But you've got a new helper who wants to take you forward. Do you want to be healed? And some of us, I know we're talking, we moved very quickly from being physically paralyzed, but the truth is, do you really want to grow? And are you willing to walk the road that growth requires? The number one excuses it's someone else's fault blame shifting and the number one lie is and we believe is someone else did something and now i am in this situation and and some of it is true because we live in a sinful world and stuff come our way and when we are young and bad things happen to us there was no control but let me tell you what he's here now (laughs) oh you to forgive you, equip you, heal you, so that you can go forward. Isn't that amazing? Rick Russo said it last week, some of us must stop hoping for a better past. It's done. You'll get that later. As well. It's like, it's done. It's, it's over. So it's, we sound like this. I'm hanging on this point, but it sounds like I am putting you on the spot. Remember, I'm preaching to myself. You're just privileged to listen in. God can heal marriages. Yes, I believe it. But you met my wife. There's an excuse. God can do great things in marriages, but not mine. I am excused. I find a reason to excuse myself from great growth. I know God, I know, I know, um, let me just use this as an example. I know it's better to give than to receive. But I like it when other people are generous. I, for me, it doesn't really work that well. Because here's the thing, and then it counts. And God, and God just wants to bless you. He just wants to get in there, you know, into your life and break open. Um, another word for this man in English, it says, uh, oh, there lay many with infirmities, which means, uh, it's another word also translated weaknesses. Okay, so some of it is physical. Some of it may be mental. We don't know. They probably just put the people there by the pool. No one wants to see weak people, so they take them out of society and put them in the corner there by the sheep gate, you know. Then Jesus, where do you find him? He's right there. <laughs> it's amazing. So infirmity is also translated weaknesses. And so God is also here stirring around these areas of your weakness. Okay? 
Listen, all, I know I'm going, I'm progressing very quickly to spiritual stuff, but also pray for, for physical breakthroughs. Please do that, all right? But primarily spiritual breakthroughs because your spirit will carry your body into eternity and then you'll get a new body. Okay? Everything will be new. But don't focus the great capacity on your life, of your life, prayer and energy to take your natural body forward. Don't take everything on that. Because it's misplaced investment. Are you with me? Put it on the spirit, man. You will get a new body. Look after this one as good as you can. But maybe God is stirring around your weaknesses. Maybe you say, hey, I don't have many weaknesses. Ask your wife, all right? And then after two pages, just tell, okay, I get it, I get it. Ask a close friend, right? They will help you. Because Jesus stirs around those areas of our weaknesses. But then he comes with a question. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in this area? Are you with me? First thing that we can learn from this man is healing and growth can only happen once you have overcome the enemy of excuses and blame shifting. That is a very high mountain to overcome. In church, I, I haven't thought about percentages. I see many people over, over the years, I'm almost a pastor now for 10 years, I see many people come through church, I see very few people getting over those mountains of totally overcoming excuses and blame shifting, but it's on the other side where you see the growth. It's on the other side. So I want to lead you and challenge you to really face this. Your problem is not your weakness, it's here and here. And the Spirit is here to help you overcome. Amen? Is that harsh? Devin, is it harsh? Yes, okay. All right. Hukum like Salnar and Osevel Hell. Let's go on. Ties in with point number one. Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Let's look at the words here. By the mercies of God, present your heart as a living sacrifice. No. Present your spirit. No. Present your thoughts. No. Is there places where the Bible gives attention to thoughts, meditation? Yes. Yes, there's those places, but not here at this moment. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Present your body, living sacrifice. It is holy. It can be holy. Why is this important? <laughs> this is very powerful. It's very important that you get this. Because if you're the man at the pool of Bethesda and he says, get up, your body is going to get up. It's not, it's not, you know, like, I got it going up. No, he needs to get up with his body. Pick up the bed and walk like he's not done for 38 years. That's weird. He needs to find a job. Hey, he slept out at the pool for many years. This body needs to find another place. It's challenging. Let me tell you what, discipleship starts with your spirit, but the body soon follows. They're not disconnected. Okay, that's a heresy that we find in 1 John. The body can do what it wants, but the spirit is holy and sanctified. No. As the spirit meets Christ, the body follows. 
It's very, 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 very important. If you say, your Lord, um, I'm committing to grow in prayer and what I'm going to do, because my, my day is quite busy, I'm going to wake up an hour earlier and pray. You know what needs to happen? You need to get up an hour early and pray. And it's with this body. But this body wants to be on the pillow because it's called secunda. So the body needs to respond. But the, the body can do miracles once it's got some coffee. Amen? And there's only one thing better than a cup of coffee, and that's a second cup. So just make them both, get them in, and start praying, all right? You might speak a little bit fast after that, but that's all right. Just go for it. If you say, hey, Lord, I, I want to go, go on missions. I just really sense that you want to take me out of my space to get to know you. Then you're not going to go on missions in your mind, in your spirit. You're like, oh, um, thank you, Lord. That was great <laughs> missions. I'm telling you what, it's going to cost you your body to be on that bus when? Friday, you can't sign up anymore. It's not a sales pitch, okay? You need to be... It's a good time to put your phone on silent now. <laughs> Unless you've got a really cool ringtone. <laughs> okay. You cannot separate spiritual formation, which is a big word for discipleship, from your body being transformed as the spirit is being transformed. And that's how your light can shine before men. You are living differently. Once you were sitting there, now you're carrying your mattress. Something changed. And that's very hard. We often hear it's very easy to overpromise and underdeliver because the difference is between the promise and the follow-through is the discipline of your body or your mind or your hands to do what you said you'll do. And that's the difference, and that's where friendships are ruined. Many people come to a church and say, oh, Lord, I love you, hands in the air. But that was the last step of obedience, the stepping out of a crowd. It's good to have an altar call at times because it challenges you. But for many, that's the last step of obedience, which just means that that rebirth did not happen at that moment, right? Because when it happens, the body transforms. Are you with me? You, once you get up, man, you will be, it will be like living in another body. Everything will be different. Everything will be different. And so it is with the new disciple. Let your expectation be known. Everything in your life will change if you make a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe if someone understates that, Maybe the gospel could have been brought over in a better way. Okay. It's going to cost your body to transform. There's nothing like it. It's amazing. But just have the expectation. You're going to become new. Second point, spiritual growth includes the disciplining of your body, not your body, please. I just want to say it's still not a dispel check for me. So. <laughs> well, I must put someone under the bus. So. We're in this together. <laughs> Let's go on. And Jesus said to him, here we go, get up your bed and walk. 
So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, those glorious words, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that said to me, it is the man who healed me, said to me, take up your bed and walk. This for me is a very deep revelation of something that the Spirit just showed me here. Um, because this is also very, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing. There's something about our past that's powerful if we carry it in a certain way with us. Um, you know, the Alcoholics and Anonymous, who have used a part of it? Okay, not a many hands going up there. <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. The man that starts it built, built the whole thing on the spiritual principle that when we share, there's a powerful thing that happens. When I share what I used to hide away, now I'm coming out and I'm, I'm telling you what I did. And the connection and the support that can happen there is really a gift from God. It's, it's, it means to walk in the light, right? What they would say before every Alcoholics Anonymous meeting is the following. Hey, my name is Werner and I'm an alcoholic. Even if a man has been clean or pure, cleansed, whatever, from alcohol for 40 years, they'll still say, I'm an alcoholic. And, and here's the reason why. By saying, hey, I'm Van and I'm an alcoholic, it reminds me how close the line of grace is for me to fall back into that sin. I've been there once before, and I can get into it again. Do you, you know what I'm saying? And in a way, when Christ tells us to pick up our bed and walk, it might be that he, that the Alcoholics Anonymous stole something from him. Never, never forget. <laughs> never forget what you have been saved from. Don't be under it, okay? Don't be a slave to it, but have it under your heart. And know, hey, I don't care if the Jews or the people out there see me walking with this. I used to have a massive issue of alcohol. And by the grace of God, he touched me, and I'm not scared to walk with this. Not as a tag, not as an identity. I'm not scared to share. I'm not, I'm not scared to, I'm not scared that my cell group know that, listen, this is the area where the enemy got me, and, and be there for me, pray for me. But also, if there's anyone of you that's, that's working for this, please contact me. Allow me to do accountability or discipleship group of you because I, I, can, I can relate with you. Can you see that? If a church are willing to walk with their past in the right way, okay, so we, use, we want to get out of a past, but we can use the past for momentum for the future by saying, hey, I overcame this, I can overcome this. Can you see that? That's a very big difference than being a prison to the past. If a church is not scared to walk with their thing, you know, God saved me from pornography, saved me from alcohol, saved me from drugs, saved me, saved me from loneliness and depression, it really changed my life. And we can have it, and people come in, they will never feel that they are judged by us. Because the communication of that God has been gracious to us would be clear. It's not that we're better. If we hide our sins away there in the, in the, in the set-up room and we are perfect here, then we are communicating to people, you know what, I'm actually quite great. 
you should get your act together. That's not the gospel. It's only one that walked the earth pure, and that's Christ. Right? So for us to be able to say, hey, it's very important. It actually draws people in closer to us. In verse 11, it says, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk, all right? Jesus leads us to make our faith public. Very important. Very important. Um, I shared this this morning. It was very funny. I was sharing the gospel with some family members last week, and it was a really incredible moment. I never know how to do this, so I just said, listen, you guys know I'm a pastor. I don't want to be weird or something, but do you have any questions for me? And they asked a few. And the one person said the following, isn't it written in the Bible that we should not talk about politics and religion? It's a saying that's been said in places. This person has, has heard it so much, they actually think that's what the Bible said. So they thought they were not allowed to talk about their need for faith. Okay, so the world is, is lost. And so we need to embody this because Jesus says, walk with us in the midst of people and then be ready to say, but the man who healed me said, I must walk with us. We are called to go out and make our faith public. Amen? We're almost there. John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Amazing. What I want us to, to take from this is that on our journey of obedience, God is always with us. Just know that he's always with us, God Emmanuel. But there's times when his nearness to us become clear. You know, someone might say, hey, when I prayed two weeks ago, I clearly heard God give me the following instruction. Who's, who's, who's had an experience like that before? Just clarity, just rise up. And I think what Christ is trying to show us here is on our walk with obedience, he often meets us on the way. Take up your bed and walk. And where does he meet him? In the temple. The place of worship, the place that is known for the worship of God. That doesn't mean God is only at church, but in your times of prayer, in your times of reading the Bible, times of worship, know that he is there to meet you and connect with you. Because your life just changed or he challenged you to make a very costly decision. It was like taking up your bed and walking for the first time. He's not left you alone. He's not sending you to go good riddance. He's meeting you on the journey and coaching you as you go. God walks with us on the road of obedience. Isn't that amazing? That's what I get from this, but we also know that he fetches the sheep that strays away. Okay, so it's more complex. The gospel is more complex than what we can summarize in bullets, but let's take what the Spirit has for us for tonight. Healing and growth can only happen once you overcome the enemy of excuses and blame shifting. That's a very big one. Spiritual growth includes the 
disciplining of your body, Jesus leads us to make our faith public. God walks with us on the road of obedience. Let us learn from a man who waited 38 years. How long have you been waiting? How long has God been speaking to you about you know, that step of faith? Let it not be 38 years. God forbid. Let it not be a month. Why? Because when he's stirring around you, it's always to raise you up and send you on a journey. That's a God we serve. Let's stand up tonight and, and, and just respond. I want us to pray tonight. I just um, have this feeling tonight that God really wants to work with us personally. So I want to just have a moment for us to engage with God in a few different ways, but quite personally, where you are standing with your own words in your own time. When it's interesting that in the pool of Bethesda, when the water was stirred, everyone wanted to get in. But it seems like only one or a limited of people was allowed to get in because the man said, but someone gets there before me. Everyone wanted to get in, but it was not possible for everyone to get in. And someone might say, oh, but Jesus, he can heal people. So is it so amazing that he healed the man? I mean, I would have, I would have healed the man if I could. Here's the thing. Very important. There's another pool. Allow me to use a metaphor for the day of judgment, all right? There's a day when each person will account for the lives they live. And on that day, your sin and my sin will be judged. It is a pool no one wants to get in. <laughs> With that pool, when it stirs, everyone runs to the walls. And then one man came and said, but I will get in there so that you don't have to get in there. I will get in, I will get on that cross and I will do what needs to be done for you to know me. Jesus meets the man afterwards. He says, sin no more that something worse may not happen to you. What he's saying is being paralyzed is bad. What even worse is to spend an eternity without God. So watch out for the most important thing. Sin no more, love God. But then he also makes provision and on that cross, or let's think of that pool, he gets in and every sin gets laid on him. He says, it's done. So that you never have to do it. Isn't that amazing? That's a God we serve. That is why we are here tonight. So Lord, we just want to lift up our hearts and our hands to you tonight. And we just want to say, you are our King, our great and merciful King, Lord. Shift our vision. Shift our vision, Lord. To know what you have done for us and how much you love us, Lord. That you would lay yourself down in my place. What a King we serve. 
where you are standing, let's do a little bit of personal ministry before we finish up. Don't, don't tap out. Let's, let's finish what God is starting here tonight. Will you just thank him in your own words that he got on the cross for you or that he got in that pool so that you never have to? It's the greatest gift. Let in your eye of word. Say, thank you, Jesus. And just experience the relief of his forgiveness. We worship you in this place, Lord. We're not here for shofar, we're here for you. Lifting our hands up to you, Lord, and our hearts. And I want to just invite some of you that maybe been caught up in a little bit of a sentimental faith. The way to change it is to say, oh, also with my body. So where you are standing, if God is speaking to you, just represent your body to him. Say, Lord, here is my body. My vocal cords, my lips, my tongue, able to pray. Just bring it before you today. My hands with which I'm work. You know, work is from God. Just bring your work to God. Say, Lord, I'm working with this body, but I want to work for you through my work. Here I am. Just consecrate yourself to him. The next thing I want you to pray about is this man said when the water got stirred, it was every man for himself. Those who could move faster passed by the man and gave him no thought. It was every man for himself. Christ came to set the example. And he did for every man what no man wanted. So let's present ourselves and say, Lord, when the waters get stirred around us, help us to help others into a place of grace. Here I am, my hands, my feet. Help me to be there for others. I'm your servant. And then let's pray together, everyone, just a prayer of recommitment to God. I don't want to, I feel God is actually working very personally tonight, so I don't want people to put up their hands or facilitate us to do the praying. I, I want us to just trust the Holy Spirit to do it tonight. So let's just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I stand before you tonight. And I want to thank you that you got in the pool for me. That you got on the cross. And you said, Father, forgive him. Forgive me also, Lord. I acknowledge my sin. And I ask you to wash me clean and raise me up. My spirit, but also my body. I want to be a disciple. Move me, lead me, send me, not sentimentally, but in reality. I am yours. And Holy Spirit, I respect you. And I invite you into my life. Fill me, renew me, empower me for my journey. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Before we go, I want to ask you one thing. Just have a seat for a minute and ask the person next to you, what is your next step of obedience? Because I want to pray for you in this week. What is your next step of obedience? I'm giving you a minute. Don't be shy. You can't say I should go and drink coffee. We're going to do that anyways. A little bit deeper than that, please.